you know, I keep thinking to go back to the subway, like how many people are making sandwiches right now when they could be having the life that I have and getting out there. And, and it, it goes to everything from like who we hire at formula, how we, you know, like I said, when people have to cancel because they lost their job, trying to like get them the nootropics they need to get to the next stage. Um, so it's the underlying culture of everything that we do to help people like live into that, that potential. Hey guys, welcome to Active Ingredient, the podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Wheel, and I'll be taking a deep dive into why people do what they do and what it is that drives them. I believe every single person has an active ingredient to them, aka a purpose, and all we have to do is uncover what that is and activate it. I'm looking at people across the board with fancy titles like editors and chiefs, founders and CEOs, to under-the-radar activists who are changing the world one person at a time. I want to get to the bottom of how they first discovered their passion, how they channel their talent consistently, and ultimately, how their active ingredient is making the world a better place. Today's episode is with Dan Freed. Dan is the founder of Formula, the world's first personalized and completely customizable nootropics company. For those of you who don't know, nootropics are nutrient compounds shown to enhance mental performance in areas such as motivation, creativity, mood, memory, focus, and cognitive processing. Formula has amassed the largest data set on the efficacy of nootropics to date. Dan's career trajectory story left my jaw on the floor. I'm not kidding. His whole story is just absolutely amazing. He dropped out of high school at 16 and says that ever since he can remember, he's always struggled with procrastination, staying focused, and staying motivated. After dropping out of high school, he went from making sandwiches at Subway to working his way up the culinary industry ladder and ultimately landed at a Michelin star restaurant in France, where he first started dabbling with biohacking and nootropics. He later completely pivoted tracks and with the help of nootropics decided to go back to school and now has two master's degrees one from INSAD and one from Yale, without a college degree or even a high school diploma. After witnessing his success story, his friends started organically asking Dan to create nootropic formulas for them, and he started seeing crazy successes in their lives. His friends were acing their MCATs, getting promoted, and doing amazing at work. And more and more people started to ask for it to the point that he eventually decided to start Formula and the rest is history. Formula has amassed an organic following from very influential names in wellness, such as Dr. Mark Hyman and Vanessa Fitzgerald, who has actually been a guest on the Active Ingredient podcast talking about her Adderall detox, and she loves formula as a replacement. It is worth noting that formula only uses ingredients that are classified by the FDA as generally recognized as safe or have passed through phase three clinical trials, but nootropics as a category are not regulated substances. So please, please do your own research before trying. Also worth noting is that nootropics work best when they're combined with exercise, proper nutrition, and meditation. And I have to say, I've personally tried the clarity, energy, and motivation formulas, and I get into my whole experience with all three of them in the episode, but it was just really interesting to see how different each one made me feel. On today's episode, we got into Dan's absolutely incredible career journey and how he got into biohacking, why traditional schooling is not for everyone, what nootropics are and the importance of customizing your dose to your personal brain chemistry, the difference between nootropics and Adderall, navigating an unregulated industry, building trust with customers, and lastly, finding your unique rhythm and way of learning to ultimately build your dream life. So with that, let's get into this week's episode with Dan Freed. Thank you so much for being on the Active Ingredient Podcast. I am such a fan of nootropics in that category as a whole, and I have just so many questions. So I'm so pumped to have you on. Thank you for being here. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. So I always kick off the podcast asking all of my guests what they were like as a kid, um, because the point of the podcast is to really kind of dive deep into the active ingredient of what you're doing today. And a lot of times it translates back into something of what you liked as a kid. Um, sometimes it doesn't, but I just, I'm curious to know what you remember of your childhood and what you were like. Yeah. Uh, it's actually interesting because I have very few memories of my childhood. Uh, I have no idea why I didn't have like a horrible childhood or anything like that. I just have very few memories that are still with me. 
Um, most of what I do remember are the negative things. Um, I think, you know, and I can get more into my story, but I didn't really fit in in very structured environments like school. Um, I had a period where, you know, I was acting out, I was getting into fights, I was um, having constantly having different disciplinary measures against me. And that goes back to like even preschool. So oh, like, wow. as a, I don't remember this, but I was apparently expelled from the first preschool that I was in. Um, and my earliest memory was my... I've never heard of anyone be expelled from preschool. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. What did you do? I, I don't understand. I look at preschoolers now and I'm like, what could the... What, uh, what was it for? It was just for like a string of not behaving well, not following direction. Um, I actually had a psychologist on the podcast and she was talking about um, uh, childhood amnesia. And it's just this forgetful time of our lives that like, it doesn't have to necessarily be something traumatic happened and then you forget your childhood. It's just a coping mechanism. If for whatever reason, it was a little bit more dark than not, it's just a way that the brain has functioned. And I I can share the episode with you, but it was a big part of it because she also had a really nice childhood, remembers some like difficult things, but she's like, I really have a hard time pinpointing what my childhood was like. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's very strange. Uh, I haven't actually talked to that many people that have the same thing, Mm -hmm. but it's just like years and years where I have zero memories. Yeah. Um, I'm going to send you the episode because she talks a lot about it. But anyway, so you kind of touched on having a hard time fitting into school, normal school structures. Um, I would kind of love to get your story background on how you first discovered nootropics um, and just kind of get a better sense of, of how we got here. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, I, I, for as far back as I can remember, I had trouble focusing and I was constantly getting into trouble in school. Mm-hmm. Uh, just that kind of environment, that structured learning environment, I didn't do well. In. And, um, you know, I had periods where I would really excel in school for, you know, whether it's a semester or a year, and then I would fall back. Um, and, by the time I was 16, I was failing all my classes um, and I just dropped out. And I started going to, you know, I ended up going to like night vocational school once a week. Uh, going to what school, sorry? To, to night vocational oh. school. Like just, you know, basically dropped out. I ended up taking the GED uh, round when I was like 16 or 17 uh, so that I wouldn't have to go back to school. Um, and then I I went to work at Subway making sandwiches. And what? I did yeah. not see that as part of your bio. Yeah, I mean, well, that's not something that I really brag about. It's not but on my it's, LinkedIn. <laughs> it's, I think it's it's a great thing to brag about, actually, because the fact that you were there and not to say that it's not a good job, like for sure, for a lot of people like that is a great feat to be able to get there, you know, but I, I think it goes to show how far a person can go when they've identified what is going to actually serve them in life, you know? Yeah. I mean, exactly. And, and, you know, and we can touch on this, how nootropics kind of like changed my mindset around things like that. Um, but I worked at Subway for a couple of years, um, making sandwiches and doing prep work. And one of the things that came out of that was, uh, Subway is one of the fast food places where they actually do prepare, uh, a bunch of stuff in-house. So you're, you know, one of my jobs was to chop 50 pounds of onions uh, to like slice them in the machine. Are you still got, a mean onion cutter? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but just doing that, like, got me the basic culinary school skills. Mm. Uh, and then from there, I started working in back of the house in restaurants and also front of the house in like, not nice restaurants, uh, but doing food prep. And I got a couple lucky breaks, like incredibly lucky breaks that I got my foot in, to, in the door in the culinary industry uh, without ever going to culinary school. Where you know? were you based? Like, where was this happening? So that was uh, when I was in LA. And my first break was basically, I, I was uh, waiting tables uh, and working back of the house, you know, doing like deliveries yeah. and stuff like that. Uh, for a deli. So it wasn't a nice restaurant or anything. And it was in LA in Century City. Um, And one of my regular customers uh, came in one day with a chef's coat. So this guy would eat there like once a week. 
uh, we were friendly, we would talk, small talk. Mm -hmm. And when he, when I saw the chef's code, I just talked with him and I said, Hey, you know, uh, where do you work? And he worked at this gigantic hotel across the street that had a great reputation. And I told it's him, you know, my, huh? Yeah. It was on. the Western Century Plaza. Oh, nice. Yeah, so it was a re and, and it was merged with the St. Regis at the time. They did tons of weddings, big events, uh, and had lots of VIPs. Mm -hmm. And the guy, you know, obviously he could eat anywhere there he wanted for free, but he liked to have lunch with his wife away from work. So nobody was bothering him. And he would find a little deli across the street, and that's where I worked. Uh, so I told him my dream of being a chef. And he said, why don't you come by and apply? And I had no idea his position or anything. He's just like, yeah, I work across the street, come in, apply, uh, and ask for me. So I went in, I filled out the paperwork and stuff with their HR department. And they just said, look, you have no, very little experience, no culinary diploma. Uh, you're really not qualified. And I said, listen, you know, Chef Andreas asked me to come in uh, and fill out the application. I said, one sec. They call him. He walks into the office two minutes later and he says, hire him. And that was it. What do you think it was? Like, what do you think it was about your conversations or your relationship with him that he believed in you? So I asked him, uh, I asked him, I think when I quit that job, like why he gave me a break. And he said, listen, like I watched you at the restaurant and I saw that you were a good worker. You were responsible. You were fast. You were running around. You cared about what you did and you had a great work ethic. He's like, I would rather take somebody like you and teach them how to cook uh, than get these people right out of culinary school and they have like this background, they have this education, but they don't have the work ethic. Um, so and, smart. And I know, and that, that's how he made his decision. And like, you know, it was really tough in the beginning. Uh, I had almost no idea what I was doing. I had none of the skills, none of the equipment. We had to bring our own knives into work. And like Google, like restaurant knives. <laughs> well, so I didn't like at that time, I also didn't have that much money. So I asked my friend if I could borrow his knives. Oh, wow. And uh, I, my friend loaned me not like chef's knives, like from his house, he just loaned <laughs> me his knives. Wait, I have a question because I feel like the restaurant industry is like so cutthroat. What was it like being in that kitchen, having gotten that job around other people who I'm sure had been working in the industry for a while? Like, what was, what was the environment like for you? Uh, it wasn't fun. Uh, some people were nice and helpful. A lot of them, um, so everybody went through culinary school there, all the new hires at least. And, you know, you, I would get there. I, so I had my friend's knives that were borrowed and they were, I put them in socks and then into a paper bag. So, you know, we get to work and you have all these culinary graduates and they have this thousand dollar knife set and it folds out and it's beautiful. And then I take out a paper bag full of socks. Do you have uh, a picture of it? I feel like that's no. the best story I've ever. <laughs> no. um, yeah. And so they, they all knew that I was different. Um, but I worked hard. I made some friends with some of the, with like the sous chef. Uh, I was always showing up to work early and staying late to learn as much as I could. Um, and, and it was a great experience. And that was kind of, you know, I still, I've never gone to culinary school, but that was, that was my start. I had a couple of other breaks. Um, so basically what happened was from there, I transferred to an international hotel chain uh, where all I did was back of the house then. Uh, and I taught myself how to cook through cookbooks and just coming into work early, finding mentorship. Well, cuisine everything so you know i worked with sushi chefs i uh one of so that hotel chain was club med mm. and they're one of the few companies at the time where it was really easy to travel even in some of the lower positions so i worked in the caribbean i worked in france i worked in mexico and they have a very international staff um, so i learned so much that was that was kind of like my education Right. And um, it was, that was where I really experienced success. So like in school and a lot of these environments, it was just so difficult for me to conform to that. But in a kitchen, you know, it's not the same type of attention and focus that's needed. 
and I was on my feet. I was constantly moving around. Uh, and I realized like, hey, I'm, I'm really good at this. And I kept get, getting promoted. Did you, sorry to cut you off, but in your childhood and while you were in school, did you think that you were smart or did you already know that you had work ethic or were you working against that? So I thought I was smart just because I did well on some tests. Okay. And, um, I didn't fully understand what was happening. Um, you know, like I, so I have a sister who is the exact opposite of me. And she was always like finishing her homework early. And like, I was the opposite. I would, you know, go into school and like on the way to school, I'm trying to finish my homework, constantly late on things. Uh, and I never fully understood what it was. Um, By the way, same, exact same story over here. Were you diagnosed with ADHD? Yeah, so that's the part I don't remember. I, I do remember uh, when I had all these difficulties that they took me to see a bunch of different people. Okay. Uh, my mom said that I got an official diagnosis and they wanted to put me on uh, medication, stimulant medication. She said no, um, which I don't know what would have happened if she said yes. Right. Um, but Are you yeah. grateful that she said no? I think now, yes. Um, so... I do think that there's a bunch of use cases where people do need stimulant medication. Yeah. I, I don't have any stigma towards it. Uh, but, you know, in, in my current position, I talk with people who are on, like who've been on Ritalin and Adderall since they were six years old mm-hmm. uh, and just hate it. I mean, yeah, t- I feel like the studies that are yeah. coming out now on long-term effects of Adderall are pretty wild and concerning. And actually before Paige introduced us, I actually heard of you through Vanessa Fitzgerald, um, who did her Adderall detox online. And I just, I, after personally trying for me, then we'll get to it later. Like, not that it feels the same, but I feel like the negative effects of Adderall is what would stop me from doing it today. Like I definitely tried it during college, but I feel like the formula part of it makes me feel more comfortable doing something that gives me all the benefits without the negative side effects. So, um, but back to, sorry, that was kind of like jumping all over the place, but back to you feeling like you were smart because you did well on some tests. I feel like this is like an important thing to distinguish because just because you didn't fit into a school construct doesn't mean, or anyone that's listening that didn't fit into a school construct does not mean that you are not smart. Just means that you haven't figured out your groove or haven't figured out what that thing is that excites you to actually stay consistent in something. Um, so what was it about the restaurant world? You said it was your dream. Like, what was it about it that you felt like you could succeed in that, that made you go down that path in the first place? I mean, so I just fell into that path. Um, and it wasn't something that I had planned and I liked it. I really enjoyed it. And then when I got, when I started traveling, you know, those were the, my two main passions in life was traveling, experiencing new cultures, seeing the world and cooking, being able to be creative. And like, it's, it was a very, the kitchen is a structured environment, but I had a lot of flexibility in what I had to do. So I, I was able to be creative, uh, express myself, take pride in my work. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the mechanics of the job wasn't the same as sitting in a classroom, not being able to talk and having to listen and take notes and be organized. Uh, it was a different part of my brain and, and, and the behavior was different that I just excelled. Um, and I, you know, like the first year, I basically taught myself how to cook. I made a lot of mistakes. A lot of food I made was horrible. Um, you know, I can, I, I would do the daily special and they basically said, you know, Dan, do whatever you want to do. Um, I had some that were incredible. I had some, one of them that sticks out is sea bass creme brulee. Mm. Horrible idea. <laughs> Absolutely horrible That's idea. That's very convoluted. <laughs> uh, but they gave me enough freedom to, to experiment. And I'm very grateful for that. And that, that type of freedom where I, I didn't have that in school. So, you know, when I really realized that I wanted to be a chef, I would go and I would buy culinary school, like 
culinary textbooks and, and different cookbooks. And I would stay up at night after a long, you know, 12, 14 hour day. And I would be reading these. And then I would go to sleep and be excited to wake up early to go to work and cook it. And just having that type of passion was incredible. It's so funny. Like I always said, I hated school, the summer reading list that we always had to do because they were telling me that I had to do it. But if it was up to me, I would have probably read double the amount of books because it was under my, under my like free will, you know? And I, I just, I relate to you on so many levels. It's just like, if you give me free range, I will probably do it three times as hard. But if it's told for no reason, like I just, authority and me are just not, we're not good friends. If you're telling me what to do, it's never going to work. If I'm telling myself what to do, I'll probably do it five times better. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and so that, that was kind of like the change. And then as, as my career progressed, um, I was living in France, working at a hotel. Um, I decided that I wanted to, this was right before I was going to be promoted to being an executive chef. So I was already a sous chef. I I was like overseeing, uh, a large staff of people. I was 24 at the time. And I knew that if I took that promotion, I would never be incredible at what I did. Why? So the, in the culinary industry, there's like different ranking. Uh, well, there's just different types of restaurants that you work mm-hmm. in. I was in like a mass market hotel. It was right. good food, but you're not going to get the same type of thing as you would in a Michelin three-star restaurant. Right. And you're never going to learn the same types of techniques just because the ingredients you work with, the amount of time you have to prepare is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I decided was I wanted to, no matter what I had to do, I was going to uh, become the best that I could. So for me, the clear path at doing that was to get into a Michelin three-star restaurant. Even if it was peeling potatoes, whatever it was to get in there, I wanted to take a year and really get my technical skills to where they needed to be before I became an executive chef. Where was that three-star Michelin restaurant? Uh, so I got into, I applied to every single three and almost all the two-star restaurants in France and most of Europe. I ended up getting into one. And that was wow. in the south of France. Uh, and it was literally, I went from being a sous chef overseeing, I don't know, 10, 15 people at that time to peeling potatoes, uh, the lowest paid position in the kitchen at a Michelin three-star restaurant near Lyon. And that was probably, everybody thought I was crazy, but it was one of the best career moves that I ever did. Really? What did you, what was like the hallmark thing that you learned from that kitchen? I mean, there's so many. I don't, as far as technical skills, I. Technical or life or anything. Yeah. I mean, so technical skills, I went from being reasonably well in a semi-competitive environment to being incredible. Um, So most of the people that I was working with at that point, they were like career chefs. They only worked in Michelin two and three star restaurants from the time they were 16 years old. Uh, it was a completely different level from what I was used to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is very similar to some of the things that you would see on TV, like the chef yelling and screaming and high stress environment. Uh, I remember one of my, one of my good friends who now has Michelin stars of his own, uh, and he, he was my, was one of the only English speakers there. Uh, he got a stress fracture from working so much with the, and, and he continued to work with the stress fracture. He like had this cast on and it was crazy. The, the, I feel like it's like a badge of honor, like the amount of scars and, and like burn marks. It's like a badge of honor in those kitchens. Yeah. And, and this was where I was first exposed to some of the biohacking. Um, okay. So just to, in France. Yeah. Uh, and it was, it was really interesting, some of the tricks that some of these people used. So aside from, you know, high levels of caffeine and nicotine, um, one of the ones that um, people use. So the, the way that the French brigade system works, 
is you go to a station and they have different stations. So they have like garmage, which is all the cold food. Mm-hmm. And they have like croissant, which is fish. And then they have beyond, which is meat and vegetable and all of this stuff. And so you switch around to each station. And when you start your training, so you get to learn everything. And then when you master a station, you can go to the chef and say, hey, I've mastered it. I'm doing amazing. I know how to do everything. I'm ready to switch to the next one. And if you do an exceptional job, they will give you a promotion when they move you. So what people would do, me included sometimes, is wear weights on your feet when you first switch over. So you're making it artificially hard. So imagine you know, wearing weights when you're working 12 to 16 hours a day in a new position, all of this stuff, it makes it really hard and it just drains your energy. Then a month into it, you take them off and you know, you're, you're getting better at what you're doing. You're not making as many mistakes. You've learned how to do it. And then you're just flying around the kitchen because it feels like you're lighter. It's, you know, where they say right. like, it gives you wings. Yeah, it yeah, yeah. literally feels like you have wings. And you're I've flying. never heard of this method ever. Is that something that, that chefs do in America also? Like I've literally never heard of this. Uh, so I'm, I, I've never worked in a three-star restaurant in the U.S., but I know it's just as competitive and I would not be surprised if people did that. Okay. Um, and, and so like when you take them off, you have this period of time of, you know, a week or two. Uh, where you're just like superhuman almost because you have this this thing taken off and that's when you ask the chef like hey I've mastered my station I'm doing amazing Uh, and they look and they're like whoa look at Dan like he's he's killing it he's ahead of everything Uh, and uh, so in that job I went in as a Comey chef uh, which is the lowest uh, paid position in a restaurant Mm -hmm. and I left at Saucier uh, which is right below the sous chef uh over the course of how much time a year wow dan that's crazy i know uh and it it was almost unprecedented to one for an american to be that high up in the with your background too yeah um yeah uh and and i learned so much i also kind of burnt out uh i almost quit cooking altogether uh i took a year off not a year off, but a year off of cooking after that um, to explore Southeast Asia and, and work in, in different aspects, uh, just because it was such an intensive, competitive year. Wow, what a story. So your first step into into biohacking was these weights. When was the next time that you started playing around with additional or nootropics, I guess? So the beginnings of, of nootropics for me, Uh, My last job as a chef, I was working on a cruise ship. So it's six months straight, no days off. You're doing, I was doing at least 100 hours a week. Okay. And I had unlimited Red Bull as much as I wanted. They would give it to us. And I, you know, at that point, I wasn't cooking very often. I was an executive sous chef. So I was managing this large staff, managing procurement, all of that stuff. And I got way out of hand with, with uh, caffeine and stimulants to kind of try to work as much as I could. Stimulants, do you mean Adderall? No, so I wasn't taking Adderall at that time, but I was taking any type of, uh, that was like my intro into nootropics, where it was different types of pre-workouts, things I could get from GNC, different vitamins. They're all over the counter. All over the counter at that time. Okay. Um, and then... You know, I kind of burnt out. I realized being a chef wasn't what I wanted to do. And I looked at different options, but I had no high school diploma, no college degree, no culinary school degree, and very few options. So, you know, again, through a couple lucky breaks, uh, one, I decided what I wanted to. Like, my ideal situation was to get an MBA. Wait, before we get there, because this is, yeah. this is the tricky part. Like this is what the listener is at active ingredient right now listening for. Like they may be in the job right now that they just realized they're not happy in. How long were you thinking about the fact that you weren't happy and that you didn't want to be a part of that industry anymore? And then what made you think that you wanted to get an MBA? So it was always in the back of my head that, you know, after that burnout experience being a chef in the Michelin three star, I never loved cooking the same way again and 
you know, I've always tried different careers. So one of the things as a chef, I would usually, I, tra I was a traveling chef. So I would like go into a hotel, work there six months or a year, and then I would get an extended vacation. And then I would go into a different country and do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So on those extended vacations, I tried different things. I tried volunteering. I tried starting businesses. Uh, I tried, you know, traveling, doing, doing a lot of different things to see what would be a good fit. And usually at the end of my vacation, it would be, hey, you know, there's really, I didn't make it work this time. So I have to go back because there's no other uh, okay. options. When I was an executive sous chef, it became almost, it was just horrible. Like all-consuming, you just could not do it anymore. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember I hated my job. I hated going into work. The Going back to the ship after a vacation, I would just get this sinking feeling like, holy shit, the next six months are going to be miserable. No, no, I can't even imagine. Like if you hate it and then you're literally stuck at sea doing that all day. <laughs> Yeah. I cannot imagine. And um, I mean, it paid really well. There were benefits. I did like some of the the things with the lifestyle, but it was just slowly grinding away at my soul. Yeah. Uh, and I knew that I didn't want to do that. And I, there were just like a couple of things. So, you know, at this point I was managing, scheduling, managing these gigantic budgets. And I started learning different tools. So, you know, I didn't know how to use Excel to make a spreadsheet to manage all of this stuff. And my boss was actually a former banker who burnt out as a banker and became a chef hospitality professional. And he taught Switch me places. how to do Yeah, I know. It's crazy. <laughs> and, uh, and that's what he was passionate about. And he taught me how to do all of these things. And, you know, he was well-educated. I had a lot of success once I'd learned things, like I learned it pretty quick and I was able to implement it and show big changes mm -hmm. in like our budgeting and all of that stuff. And he said one day, like, you know, you've done all this without any education. Imagine what you could do with just a little bit. And that kind of like sparked it for me. Um, I remember. But were you, was like your initial reaction to be like, but I don't thrive in school. Like that's not my, that's not my playground for learning at all. Yeah, so that was that was definitely a concern, and that that was like a big concern. But I didn't fully understand what college was like, you know. And 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 another experience I had, I went to. So I was a merchant marine. I for to be on the ships, you have to get physicals and and do all of these things. Uh, I went in downtown LA. I had to get a physical or near downtown, and I forgot to bring in some paperwork. So like, hey, you have to go print out this paperwork and come back. And the closest place where I could print it out was USC. And I remember walking there uh, to, to the library. And it was like, holy shit, what is this? Like, everybody was smiling. They were all, like, about my age, but not, like, beaten down by years of, like, brutal work. Um, everybody was nice to me. I went to the library. They're like, yeah, no problem. We'll will help you get copies. Don't worry, you don't have to pay for it. Uh, and I was just like, whoa, th this is school? Like, I remember high school. I didn't, I had never been like that on a college campus. Mm -hmm. That kind of like opened me up that there might be something different. So when you had this itch, like what, what was your goal in mind? Like, did you have a company that you wanted to start and didn't know what tools you needed to do it? Or like, what was your mindset to going to get your MBA? Because I feel like, especially if you're a person who already has kind of like resistance towards traditional schooling, like there had to have been some sort of like impetus to you wanting to get to A, pay for it and B, like actually sit down and do homework and go to class, you know? Yeah. So there, there was a ton of stuff part of it there was a business that I had wanted to start at the time there was the rejection of you know trying to move into a different field and not really having any options um and then what there was field did you want to sorry to cut you off again but what field did you want to move into that you felt like you didn't have any resources to be two startups uh so you know and I can go more into like detail about some of that but when I was transitioning during my last vacation as a chef um, I tried to get into the startup community. Okay. And even though that I, I, I was able to perform pretty well, 
nobody really took me seriously and the compensation that I was offered uh, was much lower than my counterparts who had, you know, great degrees and things like that. And I just, I didn't know if I would be able to even get into a college, but it became really clear that I wanted to try. So did I read correctly that you got two MBAs? No. Uh, so I got one MBA and okay. then I got a second master's degree. Okay. So what did you get your master's in? It's a very interesting program. Uh, so basically getting into the MBA program was when I really found nootropics. Okay. Um, and that, that was because of the GMAT. So, you know, just deciding to get into an MBA was just the very first step. And I spoke with a school in the UK. They said, you know, I interviewed with them and they basically said, we'll take you into our MBA program, even though you don't have the college degree and all of that mm -hmm. stuff. Um, but you have to pass the GMAT with at least an 80th percentile. Okay. I could not even sit through the entire test. It was so intense. I never, I didn't have it the background. Uh, I didn't, I never took high level math courses. And that's when I, I was like in desperation. I tried different gym routines, meditation, different dieting. And I found, I found nootropics. How? I initially on Reddit, just, I think I was looking through different GMAT forums for study tips. Um, and people were using nootropics to score better. And I was desperate. I was willing to try anything. I ordered a bunch of stuff. And luckily, I found a couple of things that made a huge impact. What year was this? Sorry, I just I want to like chronicle it with the health and wellness boom in media just to like have an understanding of what you had available to you and um, like how, how like prevalent nootropics were in the, in the wellness conversation. They were not prevalent at all. This was many <laughs> years ago. Okay. Um, and yeah, it, it was like small communities on Reddit, little forums, things like that. You didn't have any large nootropics companies. You had some stuff on Amazon, which was basically a complete ripoff. Mm -hmm. um, and that's when I got into it. And it was so incredibly impactful. You know, my, I, my goal for the GMAT was to get the 80th percentile. And I didn't think that there's any way that I could get that. When I actually took the test, I scored into the 99th percentile, uh, which is incredible. You and have to talk about your, like in your bio, you have to update it from, from Subway. <laughs> you have to talk yeah. about that. You have to. Yeah. And I, I mean, that was the thing. Like my score was higher than the average score of the incoming class to Harvard and Stanford. And it just clicked in my head. Like, you know, I, I, I still almost went to that school in the UK, but it was like, Hey, why should I go there? Like if my scores, if, if I can perform at this level, why not see if I can get into something else? Uh, so I did apply to Harvard and Stanford and MIT. Uh, it was a very difficult process because I don't meet the requirements. Right. Um, and I found one top tier school. Uh, it was an incredible school in SEAD. Uh, they're based in Europe and Asia and they let me into their MBA program. Wow. So I'm curious to know with the nootropics that you were taking, like, especially if it was just people were talking about it on Reddit threads only, how did you feel so safe taking them so consistently? Like, how were you testing for it to not kill you? <laughs> um, and how are you trusting the products that you were? that you were working with? So at that time, it was very difficult. Uh, I would say that I did it basically because I was desperate. And there were very few good options out there. And it was just kind of common sense. And I also have a high risk profile, but there weren't very reputable brands. So I just did the best that I could. And again, I think that I was very lucky. Yeah. At the same time, I never got sick from nootropics back then, but I got ripped off a lot. I would buy products that were just crappy or they didn't, um, they were like scammy companies and, and yeah, that was, that was a big thing back then. And that was kind of one of the things that when I started this company, I thought about. So I want to, before we get into finishing your master's and coming to the idea of formula, I want to, before we get in there, explain to the audience what nootropics are exactly. 
Sure. So nootropics are ingredients that impact the balance of neurotransmitters, the availability of neurotransmitters in the trillions of synapses in your brain. So they don't, one of the common misconceptions is that it changes your IQ uh, or your intelligence. Um, while IQ is, there is a little bit of malleability in, in the IQ score, there isn't much. So I was just as intelligent as I am now when I was 16 and working mm -hmm. in Subway, but my, the chemical balance in my brain was off. And I just wasn't able to sit still long enough to accomplish what I wanted. And I wasn't able to, um, it was very hard for me to have good study habits uh, because just the way my brain works. What nootropics do, and there's a bunch of different ways that they do this, but they help the neurons in your brain communicate better through the synapses. So some of them are like reuptake inhibitors, some of them affect uh, dopamine, norepinephrine, acetylcholine, um, but they basically tweak that balance in your brain to allow you, like that. that's a solvable problem. Right. So not being able to focus, that's something we can solve. Not having enough energy to make it through your day, that's something that we can solve, we can adjust it. Um, and that's exactly what nootropics did for me. So what is actually in the compound? Like what is in the actual pill? So it's, it's different. Uh, we carry about 25 different ingredients right now. Uh, we tested more than 100 different ingredients. They have things. Uh, so when you get into nootropics, the same ingredient will have different impacts on different people. So one of the best uh, examples is caffeine. Caffeine is a stimulant. It's also considered a nootropic by most people. What's caffeine the difference has, between a stimulant and a nootropic? So nootropic, there's, some people define it as a little bit different. The way that I look at stimulants, stimulants generally, I look at it as borrowing energy from the future. So when you look at like Adderall or Ritalin, you take it, you get this huge boost, and then you get a crash afterwards. Mm -hmm. And when you take it every day for an extended period of time, it starts changing. It, it has an impact on your epigenetics and on your, um, on, on, on your brain chemistry. Mm -hmm. Your body starts adapting to it. And then when you do have a crash afterwards, it makes it, you, you kind of have to pay back that debt. Mm -hmm. So that's why I call it borrowing energy from the, the future. Nootropics, the way I define them is it gives you a boost without having that crash afterwards it it um yeah does that make sense it does make sense but like i just because i take them like and i have taken adderall in the past i want to like have a very clear distinction or a definition of what is the difference between what is inside of adderall versus what is inside of a nootropic that i'm putting in my body yeah so adderall um adderall affects your dopamine and norepinephrine it's, it has a lot of benefits. It also has a high side effect profile, mainly mm -hmm. being addiction uh, and tolerance. So as your body gets accustomed to it, um, you're going to, a lot of people need more to get the same effect. There's also what's called a Delta FOS B cycle, where this chemical, it basically, it starts creating this, uh, cycle where you build tolerance and if you continue using it for an extended period of time it goes into a Krebs cycle which will actually change it, it, it triggers different genetic responses and has a long-lasting impact so that even if you quit Adderall uh, you're still going to be affected by it wow okay even if I if, if I took it like 10 years ago so, so most of the time, it's not permanent. Okay. Uh, for the average person who's using it, uh, according to a doctor, so like Adderall, 60 milligrams or less. And again, you know, I'm not a, a doctor. I can't give medical advice. It's isn't meant for medical advice. Um, but the, the time for you to recover is usually going to be about two months. Uh, if you've been taking it for an extended period of time at a higher dose. When you start getting above the 60 milligram 
mark uh, is going to take significantly longer. Okay. And then for nootropics case, is there addiction and dependency um, with taking that consistently? So the, the nootropics that we sell, no. Um, we have an ethical framework that we use to approve the different ingredients. The only ingredient that we sell that has an addiction potential is caffeine. And everybody knows caffeine. They're able to make their decision on whether or not they want to take it. Right. We have all the formulas available with or without caffeine. So it's, it's your choice if you want it. Um, but okay. we don't sell any other products that are addictive. Got it. So did you work with any neuroscientists, any pharmacists? Like how did you, how did you, I don't know if you did work with anyone, but like was there a thought to legitimize it with having kind of like experts that can speak to the actual neurology of it all? <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, just like I studied culinary arts by cookbooks, I've gone through textbooks of psychopharmacology. It's something that I'm really passionate about. And mm-hmm. I'm not a neuroscientist, I'm not a doctor, but I have a deep interest and in, in, in knowledge around a lot of those subject matter. Um, one of our, like, our early beta testers were my friends. Mm-hmm. Some of them are neuroscientists and doctors, and they were just really interested in this, so they became informal advisors. And then our uh, chief medical advisor is my friend from the clown class. Uh, he was a classmate at Yale. He has a master's in bioinformatics from Yale. He is a PhD MD. He's in the PhD MD program at Penn right now. He's one of the most talented people I've ever met. I would not be surprised if he gets a Nobel Prize one day for wow. something. Uh, and he, he's working on the project with us. Amazing. And then in terms of the questions that you, that you have on the website, how did you come up with those questions? And like how, so, and I'll give background after on, on my experience with it, but like how, how did you come up with those questions at first? Uh, so the questions were much longer at first. Um, and we basically, so the, the way our formulas work, it's very different from, uh, the other people, like the other nootropics companies, other nootropics companies go into the research and they basically, and, and they have PhDs and they have doctors that will evaluate all the research and, um, come up with a formula. And then they say like, there's clinical evidence that this works, this works, this works. We're going to combine it all. Uh, they do very little testing or research of their own. Sometimes they'll A-B test like two different formulas, but that's it. With us, we built a system to personalize nootropics. And we've tested more than 100 different ingredients. We have a process that we use to evaluate whether or not we're, like whether or not the ingredient's safe, whether it's ethical, um, and whether it's legal. And if it passes all of those um, evaluations, we put it into the mix. And we try it on uh, this. We don't do this in the same way now, but in the beginning, we tried it with a bunch of different customers. If people were rating it highly Mm -hmm. and we saw that it was effective, we kept it in our product and we started playing around with the dosages and the combinations. If it wasn't effective or it had side effects, we eliminated it. And that's why most of the ingredients we just eliminated because they didn't work well for the majority of people. Yeah. And when we, yeah, when we saw something was working, we saw the formulas in the beginning, they had no names. It was like, this is formula to be. As we started testing and getting the dosages right and getting the combinations right, people were like, formula to be is amazing for energy. I take it when I don't sleep well. I take it when I go to the gym. If I have meetings all day and stuff, I take it because it really works for energy. And so we're like, okay, we're calling that the energy formula. Like that's, that's kind Mm -hmm. of like come together. And this, again, this took years and it's not just like evaluating what other people have done in the research. It's doing that along with our own data set and our own research. And you're talking millions of data points, tens of thousands of reviews that go into creating a formula. I have a question because I did take the product and I've only had my first round. So I tried three of them. I tried energy, motivation, and clarity. And like I told you before we started the podcast, clarity was 
amazing for me. Like it was amazing. I slept through the night. I was super effective. I felt super clear and focused the whole day. Then I tried energy and it was like a a very strange experience. Like I just felt like kind of like heart palpitations and I couldn't really sleep that night and I took motivation and I didn't really feel anything. So once a customer gives you that feedback, what does the next round look like? And like, if, if I could choose, I would probably only want clarity as my four packs moving forward. Yeah. So it, it really depends what that feedback is. It's very unique. Uh, clarity is something. So clarity, uh, that's actually what I took this morning. Okay. Uh, clarity is, has a profile that's different than uh, some of our other ones. So it has uh, short-term benefits that you've already experienced and it has long-term benefits. One of the main ingredients is Nupept, which increases BDNF and promotes neurogenesis. So if you were to just take clarity every day, not only are you going to continue to get these short-term benefits of increased focus, better mm-hmm. productivity, but after a couple of months, long-term benefits are going to kick in. Um, and so that's something where if you only wanted four boxes of clarity, we would say, hey, based off of your reviews, your profile, uh, you can go for taking four boxes of clarity. Um, and so it's highly individualized feedbacks, feedback Um your experience with energy doesn't sound, it sounds like it was a negative experience, but maybe we can just adjust the dosage. Yeah. And I'm not sure if it had caffeine in it or what, but like basically what I felt was whenever I would have Adderall that didn't sit well, it was, it kind of reminded me of that feeling, you know? So if you wanted, if you had a need to have an energy formula, we would work with you to adjust the dosages and come up with something that would work well. Uh, you can get the caffeine-free version. You can do a half dose of the main ingredient, different things like that. Um, based off of your feedback, it sounds like it might be a good fit, just the dosage needs to be tweaked. Interesting. So if, if you do have a reaction, you would say that, that whether it be a quote-unquote good or bad, you would say that that's still something that we should pay attention to because your body reacted to it? Yes. Uh, so that's very valuable information. Um, for example, we might. Um, if energy was too strong, we have a formula logic, which is milder on the energy side. Mm -hmm. Um, and it might be, it it has different ingredients that might be a better fit for you. And we would recommend, Hey, why don't you try one box of it this month, uh, to see if that's great for improving your focus and energy. Uh, and you could use it in place of the energy. How, if someone's listening that is interested in trying this, like how would you communicate to them that they will not, that their heart won't explode from trying nootropics? Yeah. Or your nootropics. Yeah. We we have all the research on our website on all of the ingredients. They can go there. They can see the systematic reviews that we wrote. Mm -hmm. Uh, They, we have third-party lab testing on all of our ingredients. We're a reputable company uh, and we have doctors uh, promoting us. Um, unfortunately there are, it's, it's a new industry and there are people in the industry that are not as ethical as us. And it, you know, it gives the industry a bad name and, you know, people are skeptical rightly so because there are companies that are taking advantage of people. Right. And it's not regulated by any means. Yeah, exactly. So the FDA does not have uh, the type of regulations that we would want in a space like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's Is that un- something that you see happening in the next few years? No, um, I wish they would. Uh, I think that they are going to have an FDA crackdown on some of the more dangerous ingredients. So, you know, as somebody who the nootropics industry is growing fast. Mm-hmm. Nootropics work. And whether it's our company, or our competition, like everything's growing as a whole. I strongly believe it's going to be the same as vitamins, probiotics. It's headed in the same direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's starting to take off because they work. Like you take it and you feel something. And once you have that experience, it's, it's life-changing. However, uh, there's companies that are kind of like taking advantage of this. And my biggest the, the two things that I see happening a lot are, you know, what happened to me where somebody will buy a product off of Amazon that makes all of these promises and it does nothing. And then they just say, hey, you know, nootropics don't work. I'm writing off all nootropics forever. Uh, and that's sad. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then the other thing is there are companies selling unsafe products. So if there's a company that sells something that, you know, has a huge impact, uh, a negative impact on a lot of people, then that'll make news that will really turn people off to the industry as a whole. Mm -hmm. uh, and I wish the FDA would crack down on companies uh, doing that. I'm curious to know what the experience has been with formula during COVID, because I feel like we're all over the map in terms of people wanting to be more productive or people wanting to kind of just take this time to cool down and maybe not be so go, go, go all the time. What have you seen in sales and what has the experience been in terms of people wanting to experiment with nootropics? Yeah. So we've, we've kept our same growth trajectory throughout COVID we've seen a lot of people working from home, you know, not only is it difficult to stay focused when you're at home, mm -hmm. a lot of people, they have kids, they have dogs, like it just adds such a, so many distractions and it's like a heavier workload for some people. Um, we have seen an uptick in sales for people working from home. Uh, sadly, we've seen a lot of people um, cancel their subscriptions because they are out of work now. Mm -hmm. um, and we always try to, you know, give people discounts and, and send them free products to help them with the job search and kind of support them. It's very sad for us. Uh, one of the most interesting things is we saw people hoarding our products. Like as soon as it started hitting, people are like, Hey, I need six months of this just in case something happens. Like, I don't want to be without my nootropics. Uh, and that wow. was, I know people were like, Need to have toilet paper, need to have nootropics, <laughs> check. Okay, I'm set for the next six months. That's so interesting. Yeah. Well, it's good. It's good to know that you have a lot of diehards. Yeah. Um, but during COVID, you know, we've we continued to expand. I think it's, if anything, it's word of mouth is really getting out there that our product is great, our mm -hmm. company is reputable, and, and like our methodology is working. So right now, what would you say your deeper active ingredient when you wake up every single day and you're working on formula and taking it to the next level, what is your deeper active ingredient um, to, yeah, to get your day going? So the thing that I, I, that kind of like keeps me going is we get, we get thank you letters from customers at least once a week, you know, where it, and it just reminds me of myself. You know, we've gotten people into PhD programs. People have used our products um, to get the scores they want on the MCATs, the LSATs, get the promotion that they want. Uh, and that really, you know, makes my day. Um, and I just, you know, I keep thinking to go back to the subway, like how many people are making sandwiches right now when they could be having the life that I have? Uh, and getting out there and, and it, it goes to everything from like who we hire at formula, how we, you know, like I said, when people have to cancel because they lost their job, trying to like get them the nootropics they need to get to the next stage. Um, so it's the underlying culture of everything that we do um, to help people be like live into that, that potential. I always close out the podcast asking what is your literal active ingredient, something that you need to take, consume, eat, work out to, anything that you actually have to do every single day to have a happy day. Uh, so sleep is the one thing that I consistently need. And, you know, I've gone periods of my life where my natural state is to be highly sleep deprived. And there's no pill, whether it's Adderall, whether it's nootropics, there's nothing that is going to replace sleep that I've found so far. Um, and it's probably about the healthiest thing that you can do is to, to sleep, uh, like proper sleep hygiene. And that's something that, that no matter what I'm experimenting with, I know that I need to, to sleep properly. Same here. Where can everyone find you? Where can everyone find formula? So our website is findmyformula.com. One of the things that we do for all of our customers is we offer one-on-one -on -one nootropics coaching uh, at no additional cost. So anybody who's trying our products, they can speak with me, speak with my co-founder um, about how to optimize not just nootropics, but their lifestyle uh, so that they, they can get the most out of it. Amazing. My boyfriend's definitely going to take you up on that. He's been loving yeah. energy, by the way, which is funny because for me, it didn't work. But for him, it's, he's obsessed. Yeah, people, as far as like the Adderall replacement crowd, energy is by far the most um, 
the one that people love the most and it has a profound impact on on a lot of people amazing well thank you so much for being on the podcast i am such a fan of your story and the brand and i just i love this space in general so i'm so happy to have had you on thank you it was great speaking with you Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you can take two seconds of your time to rate and review us, it would really mean the world and help us out a ton. If you guys want more inspiration and quotes from the episode, you can check us out on Instagram at Active Ingredient. See you next week.